So the week before last, we uh, zoomed in on our corner of God's universe, and we looked at the people who interact with us on a day-to-day basis. So we looked at our friends and our neighbors, and these are the people who inhabit our little corner of God's universe. And this is what we looked at. We looked at speaking God's recreation into your corner of God's universe. And then last week, we did it. We didn't just talk about it or hear about it. We, we actually did it. So instead of Sunday service, we had service Sunday uh, and we went out into the community and what we did was we recreated, we spoke God's recreation into our community, our little corner of God's universe. We spoke life, we had 70 plus uh, folks involved, Um, we had 12 mobile prayer units like you've already heard, we had 12 hands-on ministry units, we had one senior ministry unit We covered 17 subdivisions or areas. We pronounced God's blessing on 650 households around our community. And we told them explicitly that Jesus loves them. We also told them this, the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. That was That was our prayer. And that was us seriously taking or taking seriously our mandate to speak God's recreation into our corner of God's universe. And I think that is amazing. Right? I think it's awesome. You know that, uh, that, that I've actually personally had people come up to me, folks from our community, and thank Cornerstone for doing something like this. And like Wendy mentioned earlier, the most unexpected person walked up to me and said that their door hanger is now on their fridge. Now, are we able to say how many lives were impacted? And the answer, of course, is no. But what we do know is that Isaiah 55 verse 11 says, My word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire, and it will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And so that word, Jesus loves you, which is the whole message of the Bible, and that one wonderful blessing that will not return void, that will not return empty, because God has sent it out, and God's word recreates, it speaks life. And so God is working, God is moving, God will take our meager offering of faith and he will do something incredible for his glory and for his name's sake. Amen? We just have to believe. Like I said last week or the week before service Sunday, we are living in this time in between Jesus saying it is finished on the cross and God saying it is done at the end of time. This is our space right now and And we are existing in this now and not yet moment. God's reign has come, but it's not come in its fullness. And this is a tough place. This is a tough moment for us to live in. It's not easy because we're waiting for the full coming of of God's kingdom. And as we wait for for the full coming of God's kingdom, we are living out Romans chapter 8, verse 
22, which says this, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So it's not just um, out there. It's not just the world. It's not just non-Christians who are groaning, but we are groaning also. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our, ado- our adoption to sonship, the redemption of the redemption of our bodies. And I know for a fact that all of us have experienced that longing, that longing for everything that it may one day be made right. Whether we consider ourselves a friend of Jesus or a Muslim or an atheist, there is something within us that will not settle for, for, for this conclusion that this is all that there is. And the pointy edge or the sharp edge of that ache, that longing inside us, is a longing that everything would be made right. A longing for final justice. A longing for everything to finally settle and to be as it ought to be. And this longing comes from being made in the image of God. We have this longing because he made us in his image In Proverbs 19, verse 38, it says this, A corrupt witness mocks at injustice, and the mouth of the wicked gulps down evil. Proverbs 13, verse 23 says this, An unplowed field produces food for the poor, but injustice sweeps it away. And then Proverbs 17, verse 5 says this, Letting the guilty off and Condemning the innocent, the Lord hates them both. And so sometimes uh, we encounter injustice in the news, and sometimes we, we encounter it, we meet it, we see it face to face in our own living rooms. And we know that it's wrong, and we hate it. And we have this hatred of injustice because God hates injustice. And so we're living in this world that has been shattered by sin, a world that's longing for the wrong one day to be made right. And I know that over this past week, we've had multiple people in the church uh, who are suffering. We've lost loved ones without warning. We've had friends making shocking decisions because of hopelessness. We've had medical concerns and as we hear this news, we feel that Romans 8 groaning, rising up within us, saying, how long, Lord, how long? How can this be made right? And it's, and it's in this world of injustice where we feel that things are constantly rubbing us up the wrong way, where our souls cannot settle, that we read Proverbs chapter 16, verse 8 which says this, it is better to have little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. It is better to have little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. And this here, um, in Proverbs 16 verse 8, this here is the coal face of life. This is the coal seam of life. This is the rubber meeting the road. This, this, this verse, Proverbs 16 verse 8, smacks of truth. It has an earthy and a muddy taste to it. 
This verse feels like we can reach out, we can actually touch it. It sounds like lived-in, stonewashed truth. It's like our neighbor who lives next door. It is better to have a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. And what this verse kind of shows us is that there is something beyond our five senses experience of life. There is something greater than our existence. And that one day this wrong will be made right. Now in the message it reads like this. It is far better to be right and poor than to be wrong and rich, right? Which is simple. It's far better to be right and poor than to be wrong and rich. But how do we know that Proverbs 16 verse 8 is right? Um, Why does this verse ring true in in face of all the commercials and the pop-up ads and the targeted videos of social media that say to us it is better to have gain even at the price of injustice? It is better to be wrong as long as it makes you rich. You know, in the face of that strong message, how do we know that Proverbs 16 verse 8 is true? Because what Proverbs 16 verse 8 is saying is that there is a moral law. There is a moral absolute. And that this law flows out of who God is. And it's in Proverbs 16 verse 8 that we see God's, God's plan, God's, God's blueprint for the world that he's recreating. It's an upside down world from the world that we currently experience. Because what it's saying in Proverbs 16 verse 8 is that there are some things that are more important than material wealth. There are some things that are more important than stuff. Things like integrity. Things like the soul. What does it profit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? This is talk of the kingdom. This is kingdom talk. And so Proverbs 16, verse 8 is God's blueprint, God's, God's, um, God's advanced viewing of the kingdom that he is making, he, he is working on now, he is establishing, and that one day will come in its fullness that he will bring into existence. This is the world that, that Jesus died in order to bring in, into being. This is a world of justice, a world of ethics, a world of principles, a world founded on the very character of God himself. Now the problem is that even though this new world started when Jesus died and rose again, it's not here yet in fullness. It's like a baby in the womb, right? You can see its little fingers and its little knees and it kind of looks cute, but you're not sure what that part is and you're not sure how that part maybe connects and, you know, it's, it's, it's um, murky, muddy. It's not fully formed. It's not come to full term, which is why Paul says in Romans 8, we know that the whole of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until now. Not only so, but we ourselves who are the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Because what it's saying is is that we're waiting, we are longing, we are looking at the ultrasound and we're trying to make out the features of this new world. Scripture talks about looking into a dirty mirror, uh, and it's the same concept. 
And so while we're waiting for, this, for, the, for the birth of this new heavens and new earth, um, we can get frustrated. It's hard. Uh, it might seem like there are complications in the pregnancy and we're not really sure. We wonder whether it will ever actually come. We sometimes feel that maybe God isn't as powerful and as mighty as he says he is. And sometimes it seems like evil actually is winning. And sometimes we, act, we might even wonder whether it might be better to be wrong and rich than right and poor. The uh, psalmist expresses this uneasiness in Psalm 74, verse 18, where he says this, Remember how the enemy has mocked you, Lord, how foolish people have reviled your name. And then on, to, and then on into verse 22, Rise up, O Lord, and defend your cause. Remember how fools mock you all day long. Do not ignore the clamor of your adversaries, the uproar of your enemies, which rises which rises continually. In other words, what David is saying there, he's saying, God, why aren't you doing anything? Your name is at stake. Why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you showing up? Why aren't you rising up in this mighty power and showing people who you are? And it's not just verses in the Bible, right? This is also something that we feel very deeply inside from time to time, maybe quite regularly. These are the times when we get really depressed. These are the times when we experience profound loss. These are the times when we see the wicked seemingly flourishing. These are the times when we keep sinking into quicksand pits of loneliness. These are the times when we, when we, feel, we, we feel overcome with the apparent meaninglessness of everything, where we just feel this malaise, this weight hanging on our souls. These seasons where nothing makes sense and we wonder if we can even get out of bed in the morning. Worship songs feel like empty platitudes and the Bible is not really speaking to us. Rather than listening to worship songs, we listen to songs like this because it's, it's a bitter, sweet symphony. That's life. You try to make ends meet. You're a slave to money. Then you die. These are the lyrics from a massive 90s hit from this uh, UK indie band called The Verve. And it's a really catchy song, and I really like it. But, um, but, and we were listening to it on the way home from camping yesterday, actually. I was singing along. I was like, you, you, you try to make ends meet, you're a slave to money, then you die. And is this all that there is to life? Is this what it's all about? Is this why we exist, just temporary creatures living out their few seconds of existence on planet Earth, making ends meet, enslaved to money, and then we die? Is life just a catalogue of injustices, one after the other? And the answer is, because of Jesus, no. A resounding no. A huge no. A, a gong-ringing no. And so here, here's the moment where I want to give you some words of advice. Now I've lowered your spirits and painted such a bleak picture. Let me give you some words of advice, some words of wisdom. And the words that I want to give you are this. Lean into the longing. Let's all say that together. Lean into the longing. 
that longing that you feel for something more, for a new world, for, for a world which is perfect, this Romans 8 longing, lean into it. Don't snuff it out. Don't ignore it. Instead, lean into it. Resist the urge to resist it. Lean into the longing, lean into that longing like it's that thing on Amazon that you've been looking at for weeks and you're just waiting until you have enough money in the bank for you to buy it. And so you favorite it and you bookmark it and you keep revisiting it and you drop it as hints to your friends because your birthday's coming up. You, you are saving up for it. And if you aren't yet a follower of Jesus Christ, if you aren't a disciple, then, then this is how you can lean into your longing. And it's simple. It's love Jesus as your Lord. Five words, love Jesus as your Lord. And if you are all, already following Jesus, then the way that you can lean into this longing is simple. Four words, living, living the kingdom code. So love Jesus as your Lord and live the kingdom code. Only then can you make sense of this longing that is within you. Only then can you leverage this longing for God's purposes. Okay, first things first. So if you're someone who has yet to experience Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've not signed your life over to him, if he's kind of there, you know, on the verge, someone who you maybe nod to every now and again, you might say a prayer every now and again, but you're not following hard after him. If you're not a disciple, then the first thing that you have to do to lean into this longing is to experience the wonder of embracing Jesus as your King and your Lord. This is where it has to start, loving Jesus as your Lord. It, 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 it has to start with exchanging your little kingdom for his massive one. It has to start with choosing to live life his way. In fact, it's more than that. It's not just about living life his way. It's, it's allowing Jesus to live his life through you. We read in the book of Proverbs 28 verse 5, we read this, it says, evildoers do not understand what is right, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Evildoers do not understand what is right, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. So if you want to make sense of this world, then it starts with seeking God. Seek first the kingdom of God, all his righteousness, right? All these things will be given to you as well. It starts with loving the Lord your God with your soul, heart, mind, and strength. Because once Jesus is the king of your heart, once Jesus is sitting on the throne of your life, once he is in the, in the driver's seat and has control over your life, then what Proverbs 28 verse 5 says is that you will understand what is right. You will know it's, 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 it's there in you. You have a principle within. And as long as you don't, then you will continue to have this itch that you cannot scratch, this sense that things are out of whack. You will look at the, the injustice in the world and you will feel hopelessness. In fact, outside of Jesus, I would say that the only way to, to, to not experience hopelessness at all the injustice in the world is to tune out the injustice it's, it's to pretend that it's not there. It's to block out the truth of what's going on that out there by bombarding yourself with the sights and the sounds of media, drowning out the noise of an unjust world with, with the noise of entertainment. 
And so we all need a fresh view, you know, every now and again. We all need a little perspective, a chance to see what's really, really going on. Now, not last night, but the night before that, my family was stood on the shore of Charleston Lake, and we were staring up at a star-studded sky. Now, when I say star-studded, I mean star-studded. It was just incredible. It was humbling, and it reminded me of my place in God's universe as someone who is incredibly small, but incredibly loved. It gave me the right viewpoint, the right perspective. You know, there's a song, which a worship song that says this, you're, you're like starlight in the dark, endless miles can't conceal you, and every glimmer is a spark catching fire as you break through. And then in the chorus, it says this, you are God with us, you are here with us, you are Emmanuel, you are infinite, your glory has no end. Jesus. And when we look at those little stars, they seem so small, but what they actually are is this huge, massive thing that's many thousands of times, maybe even millions of times the size of our earth. And that's what happens when we look at God. We start to view things right. We see things as they are. And so just like staring at the stars gives us the, the right perspective, so, so, so gazing at the cross of Christ gives us the right perspective. It makes sense of life, uh, of life. When we're looking at the cross, life makes sense because it was on the cross that Jesus brought your longing and the thing that it's longing for there together. It was on the cross that Jesus brought earth and heaven into one place. Because ever since we fell out of fellowship with God in the Garden of Eden, we've been longing for, that, for, the, for the restoration of that relationship. And on the cross, you know, this is the amazing thing, is that on the cross, Jesus became both the issue, he was the problem, he became sin, and the answer and the solution for us. Listen to this verse from Romans chapter 3. It says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood that, that we could receive him by faith. He did it to show his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So there on the cross, Jesus is being both just and the justifier. Now, we understand that God is just. We understand this. But, but if the only truth that we had was that God was just, that would be bad news for every single one of us here because we would be aware of his standard of righteousness. We would be aware of his standard of justice, but we would have no way to ever reach it. But because God is awesome and lovely and wonderful and loving, that's not the whole truth. He isn't only a God who's just. He doesn't tease us with impossible standards. He doesn't just say, I am just, you can't touch me. You see, if he did that, then that would be a threat. I am just and you are not. I have a standard, you can never reach it. And that's why Romans 3 actually carries on and said, God is just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. If, if, 
if God was only the justifier and not just, well, first of all, he'd have nothing to justify us from, right? Uh, but, but also, he'd be nothing more than a well-meaning, grandfatherly kind of a figure who means well, but ultimately can't really do much. And if God was only just and not the justifier, then we would be lost in hopelessness. And so it's there at the cross that I see this truth that it is, it is better to be right and poor than to be wrong and rich. And when we filter Proverbs 16 verse 8, it's better to be right and poor than wrong and rich. When we filter that through the cross, it takes us to 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 that, that says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake... For your sake, for you sat here, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus was rich and right, yet for your sake, he became legally poor and legally wrong so that you could become legally right and legally rich in the sight of God. You know what happened on the cross? Proverbs 17 verse 5, where it says, Letting letting the guilty off and condemning the innocent. The Lord hates them both. That's what happened on the cross. And what happened on the cross is, is this other proverb that says, whoever says to the guilty you are innocent will be cursed. That's what happened on the cross. And so those who were guilty were set free. And the innocent was, was, um, he was punished. And because of that, because of what we read in Proverbs, Jesus was actually cursed. And so thank you, Lord. Thank you for doing this for us. And so, so my friend here, um, sat here, here today, is that if, if you want to acquire a principle within you, for you, to be even, uh, for you to even start to make sense of this world in which it feels like there's so much hopelessness, it's got to start with Jesus being Lord of your life. And then as Proverbs 28 verse 5 says, you will find understanding in the seeking of the Lord. So love Jesus as your Lord. And once Jesus dwells in your heart through faith, then you can start to fight against the hopelessness of an unjust world by living the kingdom code. So love Jesus as Lord and then live the kingdom code. You can start to fight back with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead you know there there there's way too many times that jesus's followers jesus disciples give in to hopelessness just like the folks outside of christ do we start to lose heart we start to question what the point is and the best way to fight this is to have a code is to have a principle is to have a way of living because it's when Jesus' followers start to live out this kingdom code in a spiraling world that we can let people outside of Christ see what world is actually coming, this new kingdom that is on its way when it comes in its fullness. And so here are some glimpses into this kingdom code. And if you're someone who's a Christian that needs encouragement, maybe write down these references so the first example of the kingdom code is Proverbs 21 verse 3, which says, to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice, which means what happens outside in your life Monday to Saturday is more important than what happens here on a Sunday. 
Doing what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. This is the code. Here's another one from Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. Learn to do right. Learn to do right. It's got something, something you have to learn. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. This is the kingdom code. And one final example of the kingdom code is found in Micah chapter 6, starting in verse 6, because what Micah does, first of all, is he shows us what regular religion looks like, what we would understand maybe our Sunday services, you know, he, he, he talks a lots about that. And then he smacks us in the face with what God is actually looking for. And in verse 6 it says this, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Burnt offerings, thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of, of olive oil. Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the, 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 the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? And then Micah comes along and he answers his own question. He outlines God's, God's blueprint for this coming kingdom. He lays out this kingdom code, this way of life that God wants his followers to embrace and live out. And so if there's anything I would ask you to write down, it would be this. Um, Micah chapter 6 verse 8 he has shown you O mortal what is good and what does the Lord require of you okay so it's not a mystery okay we don't have to seek God's will for our lives in this it's here he's shown you O mortal what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And so with all of the questions and the doubts um, running rampant inside and with all of the brokenness and the injustice outside, this is something that we all can do, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis to act, to love and to walk this is God's blueprint for, for his kingdom which is coming. It's a, it's a glorious kingdom where, where, where people act with justice, where God's justice reigns, where everything is right. It's a kingdom where mercy is loved, where, where it's no longer a survival of the fittest, but everyone has a place at God's table. And it's a place of humble intimacy with God himself, where we walk with him in the humility of the rescued, walking with their rescuer. We all long for something. And if you don't know Jesus yet, then what you're longing for is Jesus. Only he will cleanse you. Only he will forgive you. Only he will fill you. Only he will embrace you. Only he will invite you into his kingdom where that longing will be met so substantially. And if you do know Jesus and you still have a longing in your heart, if you're still feeling a bit unsettled, then I know what you're longing for. You're longing for Jesus' kingdom to come in its fullness and in power. You're, you're longing for that moment where injustice is a distant memory and where justice reigns. You're longing for that moment where you can shout, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory, every little bit of it forever and ever and ever and ever. God, it's all yours. You're waiting for that moment where you can say that to God. And so I say to each and every one of you, lean into that longing. Lean into it. If, you've, if you have yet to start following Jesus, then follow that longing to Calvary where the longing for everything to be made right in here is met. 
Lean into that longing. Love Jesus as your Lord. And once you've pledged your allegiance to Jesus, once things are made right in here, you will then start longing for things to be made right out there. Lean into that longing until you see Jesus face to face. And you do that by living his kingdom code. Make your home, your workplace, your workstation, your street, make that your little corner of God's universe. Make it into an outpost of God's kingdom, which is coming. Make it your life's purpose in all you do to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Because when you do this, then people around you who think that life is nothing more than making ends meet, being a slave to money, and then dying, will see that life is so much more when you love Jesus as your Lord and you live the kingdom code. When you act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God, Proverbs 16 verse 8 is no longer a pipe dream, but it now becomes an anthem of winning an anthem of winning because because we can say it really is much much better to have a little with jesus's righteousness than to have much gain with injustice it really is much 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 better for me to be right in the eyes of god and to be poor than to be wrong in the eyes of god and to be rich what can a man give in exchange for his soul because at that moment, your riches are in Jesus. He's your greatest treasure. In him, you have everything that you need. He's looking after your needs. He's the one, one watching over you. He's the king of, the king of a kingdom which is on its way, of which Psalm 89 verse 14 says this, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go in front of you. So that longing that you feel inside, that longing for something more, something more substantial, something more than the, than the, than the 9 to 5, don't resist that longing. Don't shut it down. Don't ignore it. Instead, lean into it. Let it lead you. Because that longing comes from the Father heart of God itself. And it comes on the wind of the Holy Spirit. And it finds its, its, its quenching, its slaking, its satisfying in Jesus. So lean into your longing.